fish is for sushi lovers. Like yes. Me. What's your point? Oh, I was hoping neither of you liked sushi so I could have it all. Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance. A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net with original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Dealing In, Episode 8. Hello, hello, and welcome to Dealing In. Dealing is the feedback show for the stories of J. Daniel Sawyer. Uh, That's me, by the way. Currently, we're talking about Predestination and Other Games of Chance, episode 25 of which drops today. Predestination is a serial novel with lots of suspense and turns on surprises. If you are not current up through episode 24, stop, wait, go back, and listen now. Heavy spoilers are ahead. How can you be on this show? Well, you can send audio or text in to me at dan at jdsawyer.net. Questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats are all welcome. You can also comment on the blog at antithesis.jdsawyer.net, and you can call and leave voicemail at area code 206-350-5739. Today I'm joined by Chris Lester, author and host of the Metamore City podcast. No. <laughs> and by Kitty Nakian, the producer of Antithesis and Hera Flea from the Polyschismatic Reprobates Hour. <laughs> they have each decided evidently to play cat and mouse with me <laughs> and that would make you pinky and you the no you that pinky. would be pinky and she's snowball Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so um <laughs> i've been riding Matt this damon <laughs> Yeah, really. I've been writing a lot this week, and my brain isn't all the way up on the uh, up here today. So, Chris, could you save my ass and start me off here? Okay, I am going to start us out with some feedback by email. This one is from Thomas Brandt. Feedback show feedback. Hi there. As I also wrote to Chris Lester, if you read this out, please do an overdone German accent. I'm listening to Dealing In, the most recent ones, and have just some remarks to make and a question for you and Chris and Kitty. By the way, I really like Predestination and other overlong titles. (laughs) I'm from Eastern Germany, and I found your statements about the fall of the Berlin Wall very fast, very interesting. In Germany, it was generally seen as revolutionary, but nowadays is drowned in the problems that came along and generally not seen as profitable for everyone, as everyone thought. Nonetheless, it was a big step and important. I think seeing the wall fall from the Eastern perspective was even more striking. But I wanted to ask, what's the way you perceive Europe today? And for that, where's Europe in predestination? What happened to us? Um, The way I see Europe today... God, that's complicated. I don't know if I could do that if I had an hour and a half to do a show. It's a complicated situation. There's a lot that the EU is doing that is really fabulous. There's a lot that's really, really stupid. Um, the uh, So much really cool stuff. So much really dumb stuff. And I don't even know where to begin with what. <laughs> So I'm going to take a pass on that, but uh, I find Europe, uh, let's say, an an interesting experiment in geopolitics, and I do hope it winds up being successful. Let me just say, I'm just grateful you guys aren't going to war again every 40, 50 years. Yeah, I I think... And I think if the if the um, if you can keep the common currency together, that's going to trump any of the dumb stuff that gets done in Brussels for the next several centuries. Um, because, uh, as Bastiat said, where, where, where goods do not cross borders, armies will. And the corollary, of course, is where there's free trade. It's very unlikely that you're going to have a war. Um, the, as far as where Europe went in the world of predestination, uh, Europe got really ambitious. Um, not that you would think that Europe could be ambitious. <laughs> 
shocking. Shocking. Um, and, and you guys have some incredible engineering projects going on right now. But um, Europe got really ambitious in the space race and overextended itself even more so than it's overextended now um, with the pensioners uh, problem that you guys are running up on even faster than we are over here. And um, about uh, two, three years before the beginning of predestination, Europe finally had to give up on space for the time being. Mars was their colony. They built the Phobos station. All that stuff is um, European work, and they've more or less officially withdrawn from the administration of any of the colonies. So politically, they're not important in the picture yet. They may or may not become important later on as um, their economic recovery continues and the war between the Persians, the colonists, and the Americans escalates. He goes on. Oh, and what Heiko meant with old Europe, when Germany and France and so on... That would be Heiko from the, Hi yeah, okay. from the last feedback show. Oh, and what Heiko meant with old Europe, when Germany and France and so on refused to join the Iraq war, Rumsfeld said something along the lines of, well, they are old Europe, and we are only talking to new Europe. He meant Poland and some other poor saps that went along on that peace train. <laughs> ah, okay. Thank you for the citation. Okay, that's enough. Greetings, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. I much appreciate it. And I hope that accent was thick enough for you. <laughs> okay, and um, I'm starting off with David Deswerick. Thank you. I'm very tired today, and my pronunciation's a little off. I'm sorry. Uh, hi, Dan. No, not a death threat, but could you become one but could become one dependent on your answer. Um, <clears throat> within the past few weeks, I remember you mentioning that you were posting a podcast on the Reprobates Hour about, I believe, Roman technology or Victorian science, I forget. I am a bit older than you, you know. Since then, I have been checking the website, and all I find is bupkis, Yiddish slang meaning nothing, literally goat droppings. Now, I may have dreamt the whole thing, implying that when I listen to your dulcet tones, I am in a dream world. No, not that I fall asleep, but I believe not. Please, elucidate. Okay, um, Kitty, how is the uh, Victorian science? Uh, Kitty is the editor and producer of the Reprobates Hour. So, Kitty, when can we expect the next Reprobates Hour? Uh, on or about May 7th. Okay. You can expect the next Reprobates Hour on or about May 7th. Um, also, I'd like to start listening to steampunk fiction. As a lover of Verne's, Wells, and Doyle, I think I'd enjoy it. Any suggestions on where to start? Preferably short stuff first, then patio books. Anything to subscribe to that you'd recommend? Anything that you yourself have done? Well, of course, you can find on SteamPod and ClonePod my steampunk story, Cold Duty. Mm -hmm. um, and SteamPod also has some other steampunk science fiction. or ste uh, SteamPod. <laughs> SteamPod also has a number of other steampunk stories. Um, and, I believe steampunk uh, and I believe Steampunk Spectacular also does some original fiction, right? They do, and the entire thing of Steampunk Spectacular is set within the context of a persistent fiction universe okay. so as the characters are moving around it moves from one segment to another and you get these little snippets of fiction that are sort of building the world around the the articles that are in the the episode okay where else on the on in the potosphere can he find steampunk stuff steampunk is really pretty rare in the the audio fiction um, market the mer lafferty's uh fourth heaven book uh wasteland gets into some heavily steampunk inspired work it's true and but i'm not really aware of a huge uh steampunk trend in fiction yet um then i guess probably the best we're the best place to look would be uh bbc the uh, bbc four's afternoon radio dramas occasionally do um science fiction that's a little more steampunkier they sometimes will dramatize verns and Vern and wells and oh of course alien voices if you can still find their stuff mm -hmm. it was a audio theater company formed by leonard nimoy and john delancey and they dramatized mm. several old classics 
And if you stuff. can find it, the um, Adventures of Girl Genius, they did a podcast for a while. It's not oh, really? a, yeah, it was a radio drama. And I haven't been able to actually download the episodes when I was looking at it um, about a year ago. So they may have gotten their feed fixed by now, but I don't think they're putting out any new content on that. If it was on a feed, uh, someone may have aggregated it into a torrent as well. That's possible. And, of course, the original Red Panda Adventures, which um, which you told me uh, which you told me that you enjoy, David. The original miniseries is, well, I guess it's kind of diesel punk, but it, yeah. close enough to steampunk that makes no odds. A few decades off. Um, but uh, definitely lots of fun. Mm -hmm. And, of course, if you're looking outside of audio fiction, uh, Girl Genius is fabulous. Yes, as is uh, Greg Broadmoor's novel series, uh, or gra graphic novel series. Oh, uh, Dr. Grimshaw's Sanatorium? Or... I'm not familiar with that one. God, I can't remember now what it is. Greg Broadmoor at Weta has a graphic novel series that's really cool. And, of course, uh, Jeff Vandermeer has edited an anthology called Steampunk, mm -hmm. which is filled up to the brim with great stories. And our friend Gail Carriger, who was here last time, will be having her debut steampunk comedy novel coming out this October from Orbit. And I've gotten to read the first couple chapters. It is fucking hysterical. Nice. That is called Soulless, and it is available for pre-order Pre-order on Amazon right now. There will be a link in the show notes. David continues. In an another email. In another email. Hi, Dan. Pride. You also made me very proud by playing a Red Panda excerpt during my feedback. I listen faithfully, truly enjoy and admire the talents of Dakota Ring Theater, and to them... And to have them referred to in conjunction with my pedestrian tirade was undeserved and touching. <laughs> as much as I like the panda, I must admit I enjoy Blackjack Justice even more. I actually do too. I, I love Red Panda and I really love Blackjack Justice. Um, Greg Taylor's comic genius is all in the snark, and there's so much more <laughs> of it in Blackjack than in Red Panda. Unless you listen to the original Red Panda miniseries, which still will knock me over laughing. Um, anyone who hasn't uh, found these guys yet, you can see, find them at uh, decoderingtheater.com. Brilliant, brilliant audio theater company. Loads of fun. I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, oh yeah. it's a delight. It <laughs> truly is. He continues, Steampunk. Thanks for connecting me. Really enjoyed your story. One minor error jarred my listening, though. Oh, yeah, he got me on this You one. knew I had to find oh, something. It is a big one, too. Towards the end, the protagonist is informed that His Royal Highness wanted to see him. And then no! He, and then he meets the king. Well, you colonial Republican, <laughs> monarchs, i.e. king and or queen, are referred to as his or his her, her majesty. majesty. Yeah, I know. Hence, oh. HMS stands for Her Majesty's Ship. HMCS is Her Majesty's Canadian Ship. Presumably because they just don't quite measure up to the same standard. <laughs> Note, Chris Lester said that, not me. Send death threats to <laughs> ethereus at gmail.com. No, it's, uh, C it's Chris W. Lester at gmail. Oh, Chris W. Lester at gmail.com. <laughs> Non-monarchs who are a part of the immediate royal family, princes, princesses, mm. royal dukes, are referred to, if so designated, by H.M. the Queen... Famously, the Duchess of Windsor was not as his or her or as her or his highness. Thus, I was thrown, as I am sure were other listeners, when after he was told that his highness wanted to see him, it was the king. I am sure you are familiar with King Farouk's quote. Soon there will be only five kings left in the world. The king of hearts, the king of spades, the king of diamonds, the king of clubs, and, and the, the king, king of, of England. England. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Nonetheless, I loved it. Thank you for that. I'm glad you liked it, and yeah, you nailed me on that one. I know better. I can only beg deadline. I wrote Cold Duty on a very short deadline and rushed it off without proper proofreading. Mm. And that one slipped by me. He continues. Just a weird observation, one I also made to Pip. 
Interesting generational dynamics. I enjoy your and her talents. I'm in my mid-fifties. Yet my eldest son, who is twenty-seven and has been active at Dragon Con, does not. Yet we both enjoy Nathan Lowell's work, who is my age. Go figure. That is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be really fun to sit down and try to take apart why that is. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I, you, your, your audience tends to skew a lot younger than mine does, too, I've noticed. I haven't done the like the demographics on mm-hmm. it, but I do seem to hear from a lot of listeners who are fairly young. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm counting myself in that category, and I'm turning 30 next month, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. As usual, thanks for your and your friends' hard work and sharing your talents with us. Thank you also for reading my letters and tweets and responding so gracefully and wittily. Much appreciated. Thank you for the constant feedback, David, and for calling me out on shit that you catch and starting feuds (laughs) over Canada. And Oh, it's been so much fun. (laughs) I hope you keep listening to Down From Ten and then to Free Will because uh, I love your feedback, man. It's great. Indeed. Okay, and uh, David continues in yet another email. Uh, You mentioned a story that you did, something about angels. Please provide a link, otherwise see you at the corner of Portage and Main. And Portage and Main is, uh, he goes on to explain, in 1862, Henry McKinney opened a dry goods store at the junction of two fur trading trails north of the original settlement at the Forks, one following the Assiniboine river to the western plains the red river to hudson bay soon other merchants followed and today this corner is known as portage and maine the most famous intersection in canada it is the heart of winnipeg's business district <laughs> with office towers on all four corners did he just say assiniboine assiniboine is that the name of the river assiniboine is the, the i assiniboine <laughs> What's or a boing? boing. What's a boing? Boing. Uh, <laughs> boing. 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 <laughs> the story Ooh. we were referring to was Angels Unawares. It's available at sculptgod.jdsawyer.net, and there will be a link to it in these show notes. So you can keep Winnipeg to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to those of you from Winnipeg. All right. Jeremy Harper. Subject. Episode 23. Loved episode 23. It feels like things are finally starting to happen after a couple of episodes of getting all the players in the right places. I have a question about Bill Shelley and his situation. Is the threat to Shelley simply do as we say or we'll tell the Christian-dominated United States that you're a Zoroastrian? (laughs) Or is Zoroastrianism the dominant religion of the Persian Empire and they're playing on his religious loyalties? It's almost halfway between those things. Uh... The United States is not a Christian nation now, never has been, despite what a certain vocal minority would like you to believe, and it never will be in the sense that they mean it. Right. But, um, no, it's more like, uh, the situation is more like um, if John F. Kennedy had been a communist, the Zoroastrianism isn't just the dominant religion of the Persian Empire, it is the state political religion of the Persian Empire. And back when Kennedy got elected, a lot of people were saying that um, you couldn't elect a Catholic because the Vatican is a political nation and has a political power, and you would have someone who has sworn allegiance to a foreign uh, to a foreign power, and you can't have that in office, uh, particularly not in the presidency. Now, Kennedy came on and said, well, I'm not, you know, if I take the oath of office, I'm going to bow to the Constitution first and to Rome second. And he got elected and that was that. But the the situation is kind of similar because in that era, of course, if you had um, any kind of communist sympathies, you could be brought before the House Committee on Un-American Activities and generally harassed despite how illegal that whole situation was. You could pretty much kiss a political career goodbye by being successfully labeled a communist. Um, Wasn't the law, but it was the cultural reality. When it comes to Zoroastrianism in the world of predestination, we've got pretty much a similar 
similar climate. You don't want someone with presidential ambitions and the most powerful man in the Senate also happening to be a devout, initiated member of the state religion of your opponent in your current Cold War. <laughs> so Shel they're, they're not playing on Shelley's sense of loyalty to Ahura Mazda. Because Shelley, being an American, sees his religion as separate from his politics. Mm -hmm. But they are blackmailing him with, yeah, we're going to, um, we could tell the FBI, we could tell the CIA, we could see where you've committed perjury in order to get where you are by lying about, or either by omission or commission. We could tell your electors um, and your constituents who you are and what you are, and thereby end your political career. We could do over all the people that you've brought up through the ranks and who you've sponsored. All your judicial sponsorships, like Doug Reeves, would come into question at that mm. point. So they basically waited until he was so powerful that, he, that if, he, if this got out, he could be conceivably brought up on treason charges just for the accumulation of... Um, minor perjuries and the doubt it would throw on to all his classified uh, access. Mm -hmm. I'm not articulating that very well, but hopefully the, the point comes across. So that's what they're using to leverage him. They can basically destroy him. They might be able to get him executed by his own government, though that's far less likely than getting him, than ensuring a comfortable retirement where he will be under constant surveillance. Didn't you say that that America had pretty much become a surveillance state by this point anyway? Well, it's pretty much a surveillance state now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean constant active surveillance, like uh, the way they used to deal with uh, retiring party officials in Russia, where you had your minders following you around all the time. Right. Um, no one wants to live like that, um, and no one who cares about the jobs and careers of his children or the friends that he's sponsored to get into high places or the causes that he's championed is going to be willing to let himself be outed like that. You've got two choices at that point. You either kill yourself or you play along and try to rig the game against the people that are blackmailing you. Which is exactly what Which he's is exactly doing. what Bill Shelley is doing. Interesting stuff. I was very pleased when I found out the secret behind Shelley's, uh, you know, the, what was driving him. It, it was emotionally and, and uh, psychologically satisfying. It made sense. And, uh, yeah, I just, it was well played, I thought. Cool. Yeah, and that one, believe it or not, when I was first writing it, that one came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, the first draft I wrote back in the early '90s didn't really—he didn't really have a reason because it was my first novel, right? He was your capital E. <laughs> he evil was my bad capital guy. E evil bad guy. And one of the things I decided when I went to do a rewrite and make it into a real novel was that I needed to have um, my bad guys be real characters instead of just cartoons. I, I knew Bill had to be playing the fool for somebody, but I didn't actually know what was his reason what they were holding over what, him. i didn't know who yeah i didn't know what they were holding over him i knew it had to be the persians because uh it just that was the only thing that made sense parsimony yeah so i started the scene by writing once upon a time and it came out in the writing that he was a zoroastrian and i was like oh it makes perfect sense and of course i go back and retcon everything in that that sets it up I particularly like the way you played that scene in the episode, too, mm. because it came right after a scene where we had just seen Joss sort of being confronted by Reeves. And it's like, what are you know, they're doing the whole what are you hiding thing? Mm -hmm. And so when it transitions, you think that you're finding out about Joss's Joss. background uh -huh. all the way up until the point where it's like <laughs> it mentions Bill, Bill Shelley. Shelley. And it's like. Holy crap, he just completely <laughs> pulled the switch on us. Yep. Thank you. That was intentional. I'm very glad that played well. Um, and uh, oh, what it does to everybody in free will is going to be so much fun. <laughs> Meow. Okay. And I've got, uh, I've got email feedback from Patty Heaney. Yay, Patty. Yay, Patty. Welcome back. 
How did someone else get best death threat ever? I feel hurt. <laughs> well, well, really, I feel sleepy, but you haven't done anything bad enough to hear about my medical history, so we'll just stick with hurt. <laughs> also, totally... Date, let Patty David did dream up a fate worse than death. <laughs> and I mean, you you came up with the best death threats, and then David one up to you by by in, by reinventing hell. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to those of you who live in Winnipeg. <laughs> Too late. Um, also, totally understand about depriving the rest of your audience of my uh, latest drunken dial. I realized after I woke up the next morning that I forgot who I was leaving a message for about two-thirds of the way through it. So there's a good chance that it wasn't all intended for you anyway. <laughs> oh, no. That would explain a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to become like the Calvin and Hobbes noodle incident. <laughs> okay. Uh, still think you're a meanie for depriving me of best death threat. Well, I do what I can to be a meanie. It kind of fits his persona. <laughs> this is a man who has said to me verbatim, I am an asshole, Chris. I really am. <laughs> I am. I'm a warm and cuddly, fuzzy, kind and sweet asshole. But I am an asshole. <laughs> now I'm thinking of Team America. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. So am I. <laughs> Such happy thoughts. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'll kill you later. You can edit it out. <sighs> oh, I'm not going to edit that out. That's comedy gold. <laughs> Jeremy continues. Also, you're, you refer... Also, you refer to an attack on China as the final spite of Arabia's dying religion. Does that refer to Islam? What happened to it? That it should lose so many followers so quickly. I think we talked about this in the last Yeah, we did. Show. I got this uh, email between when we recorded it and when I released it. So uh, see the last feedback show for a more complete explanation. But yes, it was Islam. Anyways, love where the story is going so far. I thought the music for Shelley's scene was some of the best in the series. So I agree. Oh, yeah. Danny, you rock! So compliments to Danny Shade. And the closing music wasn't bad at all either. Great work. Can't wait for the next episode. Cool. That was J.D. Harper. Thank you, J.D. I love your initials. Okay, and we've got feedback from Richard Cartwright. Who Richard, said, yes. Who says, great job with the historical references. I'm a sucker for that stuff. So we have a superior Persian fleet descending on an inferior force. Why does that sound familiar? Whatever could it be? Could it be maybe, oh, Xerxes? <laughs> <laughs> this is Sparta! Uh, just remember, the Persian Empire was around for several centuries, and there have been a lot of other great empires in that neighborhood, too. That's true. The Assyrians, for instance. Oh, yes. And the Hittites and the Babylonians. Yes. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Okay, this one is from Sarah Lloyd. Who, hey, yeah. My good friend, who plays the voice of Danny Shirabi right. on the Metamore City podcast. Hello, Sarah. She says... Anyway, Dan, I wanted to tell you that I've been listening to your show. I'm not current, but I have gotten slightly past the bathtub scene. <laughs> cool. I really like what you do That's with this. That's one of those great mile markers. Everyone references the bathtub scene. Mm -hmm. Just like everybody met, everybody references the dance club the scene dance club in Making scene, the yeah. Cut. Come to think of it, both of those involved uh, Pip Ballantyne. Uh, Pip so. Ballantyne in a lesbian scene. Mm. She is getting a reputation. Yeah, and and a deserved one too. <laughs> now I don't think she's worried about that anymore with erotica a la carte. Now. No, after, no, particularly after what she just the story of mine she just read. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, she was tweeting, "This is the raciest thing I've ever read, and it's so much fun." <laughs> <laughs> Nobilis did say that she had the sexiest female voice in podcasting. Oh God, yes. Yeah, and three guesses as to who he chose as the sexiest male voice in podcasting. Him? No, me. You? Damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I really like what you do with the sound effects. 
I don't know how to explain it, but you somehow achieve a kind of 3D surround sound thing where it sounds like I'm in the same room as the characters, which is really cool. When I was in high school, I heard something similar in Disney World, some show where you put on earphones and experienced everything Drew Carey did. I think they called it 3D sound or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought it was awesome then, and it's great to hear something similar come from my iPod. That's so cool. It's actually just a simple stereo mix. I would totally love to get a surround board and uh, and do a real five-channel mix. But uh, now I basically, <clears throat> if you imagine... You know, your the tip of your right hand and the tip of your left hand is the far right channel and the far right, uh, left channel. Then, when you're mixing stereo, you just figure out where in your field of vision you want what you're hearing to be, mm-hmm. and then you move the um, you move the uh, the pan pot to that point. And then, when your headphones are on, your brain will tell you that that's where that thing is. And you can increase or decrease the volume to make it sound closer or closer farther, or farther away. away. And you can also change the EQ to make it sound like it's behind a wall or at the end of, you know, add reverb to make it sound like it's way at the end of the hall, like I did with Heather Welliver when she played Shana Takahashi. Mm-hmm. She starts off way off with the reverb and then comes up close to, so she sounds normal. And then as she mm-hmm. goes away, the reverb goes up again. Yeah, it was nicely done. Had so much fun with that. And she just had her kid. Yay! Grail Pup has been born! Grail Pup is here, and much less furry than the name indicates that he should be. Eh, Well, you know. He's cute. (laughs) (laughs) He has decades to come up with the lycanthropy solution. Yes. (coughs) We can't all be theriomorphs from birth. (laughs) All right. Where the hell am I? Um, So far, Sarah continues... I've been enjoying the story as well. I have absolutely no idea where the plot is heading, which is a good thing, because I'm usually pretty good at guessing the end of stories. I do, however, have one criticism, and that's that I'm kind of having a hard time keeping your characters straight due to the gazillion names you've given each of them. (laughs) And that doesn't translate easily to audio sometimes. Sometimes it's easier to keep things straight when you see them in print. So I was wondering if maybe you had some kind of character map on your website, which I haven't yet been to. Anyway, other than trying to map everything out in my head, like I said, love the show. I also enjoy listening to you and Chris doing the feedback shows. You guys get into some interesting conversations that I'm very sad to not be a part of. Yeah, mostly because I miss hanging with Chris and having my own interesting conversations with him. (laughs) Well, thank you, sir. I miss you, too. Well, if you ever make it out to San Francisco... We'll yeah. have to do one. And she will be at Balticon, but sadly you will I not be there. I won't be there this year. Nerds. But, um, yeah. Um, You're the, the uh, second person who's actually requested a character map. So once I'm done with the series, I am going to put one together and put it on the site in an easily downloadable PDF format. Huzzah. What is a, what do- how does a character map di- different from just a dramatis persona? Well, it, it's, uh, I don't know. Does it like show you how the characters are related to each other or what? It could do. Yeah, probably. I'll probably do that way. Like a mind map of the characters. Yeah. Mm. Interesting thought. Kind of like my gumdrop model, but for characters. (laughs) (laughs) And that's an inside joke, and you guys don't get to find out what the gumdrop model is. Okay, and um, we have here a translation of a German iTunes review. Thank you, Thomas Brandt. Oh, nice. Um, With anticipation. This, J.D. Sawyer brings a story of many very dark but fascinating characters to the iPod. In a distant future, humanity on the moon is moving towards independence. Some people connected with this endeavor have to make difficult decisions and find out who to trust and who not to. A fascinating patio book that is, that is certainly not child-friendly and whose plot twist can surprise even the most hard-boiled thriller fan. Hard-boiled. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. And uh, yes, it it is the distant future, the year two thousand. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I love Flight of the Concords. Okay, the humans are dead. <laughs> sorry, please continue. This one is from Mary Laura. Comment on Predestination episode twenty four. Wow. Just listen to episode 24 and trying to cool off. What a kick-ass episode. (laughs) Is that the sex scene episode? That was the one that ends with the sex scene. Damn, that was good. I am thoroughly impressed at the way you keep everyone guessing here. 
all the main characters in one room and neither they nor your listeners are really sure what's going what's really going down. <laughs> then there's Cassie and Joss desperately wanting to trust one another and unable to do so, each needing the other but unable to surrender. The tension is intense. The connections that they make at the end of the reading, delicious. You got a lot of balls in the air, James, and you are juggling them magnificently. Well done. Thank you very much. I had a lot of fun putting that together. <laughs> Damn, that was hot. <laughs> All Thank I have you. to say, um, when you said two com highly competitive switches, mm -hmm. we had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something. After that feedback show where I said that, I went back and looked at the scene and amped it up a bit just to make sure that it lived up to expectations. Nice. Actually turned into a better scene for it, too. Good. But, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun putting that one together. I totally felt like totally felt like I was walking in an alternate universe though the last week and a half because I did that, and then I wrote and then recorded the male voice for Buried Alive in the Blues all in the space of about eight days. Mm. And I'm like... How did I suddenly get, like, into Kinkland? <laughs> you know what I really liked about the episode oh. was the way that you totally subverted one of the classic tropes of adventure spy fiction. Oh, please do which tell. Which is, there, there's, this, there's this trope that you see again and again in the movies where somebody's about to do something really crazy and stupid and reckless, and they turn to some they their compatriot and they say can i trust you and you completely <laughs> turn that on its head by saying no you can't and you can't trust me either so. and don't you ever dare trust me it was beautiful i mean it's like because it was so unexpected and yet you know, you're leading us towards what we think is going to be a very cliche moment. And then Where it's like, have Whoop. this alliance form and they get right. together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, Oop, no, not really. They just want the sex. <laughs> just wait till you hear episode 25. <laughs> <laughs> is that the last chapter? No, episode 27 is the last chapter. Episode 25 takes place entirely that night. Mm. But uh, yeah, you'll, if, if you like that, you'll love episode 25. <laughs> Because <laughs> there is more trope subversion that goes on. Woot. Thank you very much for the email, Mary. And I've got feedback from Richard Simister, uh, who says, You bastard! I was listening to the latest episode of Antithesis when in the background I heard paging Scott Sigler. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to go back and listen for all the little extras I've been blissfully unaware of during this whole <laughs> yeah. ride. You're going to find a few. Actually, I don't know how many are intelligible, even if you're listening real close. So we'll give you the rundown. There was a... Paging Scott Sigler. Paging Scott Sigler. Scott Sigler, please locate the nearest white courtesy phone. Uh, there was one... Janitorial to security checkpoint 42. Janitorial to security checkpoint 42. 42. I don't remember any of the others. All members of the 2001 Scholarship Society, conference room HAL9000 is now available for your use. Please clear the large blue police box which is obstructing foot traffic at the checkpoint. Uh, uh, the Wilhelm scream. That was an intro. Oh, yeah, the, the Wilhelm scream is in there. Not that I object to you going back and listening through again, because there's a lot of little Easter eggs all over the place for you. But I don't want you to be frustrated because you can't hear those. Right. Not that it's going to be a chore. It's a real pleasure to listen to. Thank you. Thank you very much. This one is from Lunar Shadow about episode 24. Holy shit on a shingle! <laughs> I nearly crapped myself with the tension in the room during that sit-down that Doug, Joss, the Hartmans, and Cassie had. You have been executing this book brilliantly, with a capital B, brilliantly, thus far, and I know that you are going to leave this book on a cliffhanger for the next one. You are that much of an asshole to do that to us. <laughs> Thank you, Lunar Shadow. Okay, and I've got feedback from... Where is the name? Uh, Rosaline. Hello, Dan. I just wanted to say I am hooked. I came across your podcast on iTunes just by happenstance about two weeks ago. I always take a peek at things through the, with the three E's. Erotic, explicit, and exotic. I like her tastes. 
Plus, your cover art also piqued my interest. Well, I just finished episode 23, and I am very upset. One that I now have to wait for you to post, and that we are almost to the end of this book, and I now have to wait till September for the next book is out. During this sad time, I will be listening to your other podcast, and I will, and I have also started to download uh, Philippa and, and Chris Lester. I'm sure I will enjoy their podcasts as well. Also, that I am now... Also, that now that I am up to date, I can start to comment and not be months behind. I just wished I could have been part of your two contests that you had going on. I have a comment on dealing in on dealing in. <laughs> I think it should be called anti up. <clears throat> Chris, you may have the blue eyes, but I'm sorry. I think Dan has the sexy, sexy voice out of you both. And if I was into women, Pip's voice also has you both. <laughs> I. I know it's got to be the accent. I give extra brownie points for accents. I also figured that Allie has lost a baby. I just had that feeling in my heart. I know how that feels so I can understand some of her pain. Since we still don't know her full story, and I think you said we will have to find out someday, we will have to find out more till the next book, I can only hope that someday she will find the joy in having a child to some to love someday as much as I love my son. I love your dealing in shows and all the tangents that you go on. I can't help but laugh out loud on many of the comments that you make that you have to be a movie, book, fair, or any other geek to understand. Keep up the amazing work, work forever hooked. And that was uh, Rosaline? Rosaline, yeah. Thank you very much, Rosaline. Um, yeah, you. we do have to wait till uh, about midway through Free Will before we find out what's up with Allie, but I think it's going to be worth it. And... Um, I'm so glad you're enjoying it and that you find it exotic as well as uh, explicit and erotic and interesting. This is another one from David Dizwerick, who might be called the ubiquitous David Dizwerick. <laughs> Giving Tristan a run for his money. Yep. Episode 42. Whoops, I mean 24. <laughs> if you don't get that, refer back to the previous show and the discussions about uh, Dan's little um, dyslexia issues. <laughs> well, it's also a Hitchhiker's Guide. Of course. Which, by the mm -hmm. way, the release schedule on Thursdays, among other things, is a Hitchhiker's Guide reference from the first episode. Never could get the Never hang of Thursdays. Never could get the hang of Thursdays. <laughs> nice. Wow, I'm still sweating bullets. I may have to take heart medication, just joking, before listening to the remaining episodes. What a crescendo. <laughs> Bestest David. Thank you very much. <clears throat> okay, I've got some Twitter feedback from D-Dog. I like your rendition of Gift of the Magi. Just listened to it today, months late. Oh, thank you. Glad you liked it. I have here a substantial message, the last one in my list. Uh, substantial message from Mildred Katie. Oh, Mildred, we haven't heard from you in forever. Thank you for writing in. About dealing in number seven. First, as I told you on Twitter, which was probably weeks ago by this point, good gods, man. If you haven't started, you need to read the Vorkosigan series by Lois McMaster Bujold. <laughs> Note, some of it can be read for free on the Bain website. Get back to me when you're done. Grin. Okay. I have, I have to agree with her on this one. Second, isn't it amazing what the advent of a nearly instantaneous worldwide communication system and increasingly faster methods of travel can do for a society and to a person's sense of personal history? Where it once took months to even vote for the U.S. president, bearing complications, we know who the... Barring complications, we know who the next president is well before dawn breaks the day after the election. As long as you read a newspaper, listen to the radio, watch TV, or surf the internet, you can know mo you can know what's happened on the other side of the world within minutes for yeah, most of those On methods. the presidential thing. And when we don't know by the time dawn breaks, we think it's a national crisis! Right, exactly. <laughs> Forgive my total lack of sympathy with everyone who freaked out over Florida. Yeah, <laughs> or Ohio. Or Ohio. As long as you read a newspaper, listen to the radio, watch TV, or surf the internet, you can know what's happened on the other side of the world within minutes, for most of those methods, of the event occurring, where one time you probably didn't know what was happening in the next village for the majority of your life. That's very true. 
I still don't know what's happening in the next village more. I know more about what's happening in <laughs> Australia than I know about what's happening in, you know, Marin County. <laughs> it's because nothing happens in Marin County. <laughs> and they like it that way. That's why they're there. That's why they're there. <laughs> and the events that we choose and are chosen for us by the sheer impact of the event are also interesting and informative. By the events I remember, I'd be properly identified to be an American of a certain age, especially if I admit that I remember Luke and Laura's first wedding on General Hospital. Oh my with, god. With just a little more detail than Charles and Diana's wedding a few months earlier, and that the first Gulf War postponed my high school trip to Russia. Wow. And I remember the, the first Gulf War sitting on the steps. Yep. Well, I remember when we found out that Iraq had invaded Kuwait and mm -hmm. we were walking down the street, it was an August morning and yep. we were, mom and dad were taking us for ice cream and we saw the newspaper and saw that, that Iraq had invaded Kuwait and we're like, you know, we didn't really know what was going on because we hadn't really heard of either of those countries. So yeah, see, like, I had remembered Iraq from the Iran Iraq war. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew this wasn't going to be good. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, I remember the whole build-up and yeah. everyone talking about how wars last for years and years and years. And I was like, wow, because mm -hmm. I hadn't been alive for any real war, you know. Yeah. And then it lasted six weeks, and I was like, wow, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> on the other hand, it was on CNN 24-7. Yes. And I've still somewhere got videotapes of the, uh, of the broadcasts of the anti-aircraft fire mm -hmm. um, by Peter Arnett from Baghdad. Yeah, the one that, that really... Um, that I thought the thing that really caught my attention about that war was it was just two years after they'd finally admitted that we actually had the stealth fighter. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And yeah, it was the first one where we were using the stealth fighter openly. Yeah. So and actually see. showing what it could do. Yeah. And it was like, Whoa. <laughs> mm hmm. And Chris stay good. While you may have had scotch at the time and may not remember much from the last feedback show, for scotch is a powerful, proper and powerful spirit, when I finally meet you, hopefully at Balticon, don't use the powers of your wonderful voice for evil and reduce me to a puddle in the hallway or whatever room we're in. <laughs> that sounds like, don't throw me into the briar patch. Very well, Mildred. I'll make sure that we find a nice private place for me to reduce you to a puddle. <laughs> and bring a bucket. <laughs> um, the uh, Mildred is actually one of several people who in the last couple of weeks have tweeted or emailed me about corrupting you <laughs> I, there, there's one over here that says uh, I think Dan Sawyer has corrupted you uh, from, um, Kimmy Dreams oh, uh, yeah, that's from Kimmy, Kimmy Alexander. Alexander Kimmy Alexander who writes <laughs> urban fantasy and also hosts a number of, well, hosts or co-hosts or co-produces a number of podcasts and blogs for the kink community. Uh -huh. So, hi, Pot. I'm Kettle. <laughs> <laughs> what was even funnier was last night at our, um, at our weekly get-together with our friends, I mentioned this and one of the other guys there said, oh, yeah, right, like you could corrupt the author of Metamore City. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, ladies and gents. I've always been this dirty-minded. I just finally have gotten to the point where I don't care what people think of me anymore. In other words, we've helped make him naked for you. Well, for some of you, anyway. <laughs> Stripped away the layers of defense. As it were. See, he's worse than me, guys. I don't know what to tell you. You think it's my fault. He he was raised in a charismatic church. That corrupted him from the beginning. It's kind of like going to a Catholic school. Nobody gets out straight and sane and yeah. you know, completely uh, vanilla. Exactly. Going to Catholic school, you have to develop a... S&M kink of some kind. Just to survive. <laughs> anyway, please continue, Chris. Lastly, both you and Kitty are very, 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 very evil. Dan, you're evil for giving that little hint into book five. Book five! The damn series better get picked up for a publishing deal, because to wait four to five years is going to be very, very infuriating. And Kitty, you're even more evil, so for telling us we know who it is. <laughs> 
Taking lessons from Dan or something? Well, she has been putting up with me for 14 years. (laughs) On the subject of things that will warp your mind. (laughs) No, I warped his mind. Actually, that's true. She did. What makes you think I was talking about? (laughs) See, so if you want to know who has been corrupting Chris and me, it's her fault. As Adam said, the woman you gave me. (laughs) Oh, God, we're back to that one again. (laughs) Quick, take your clothes off and go get the fruit basket. (laughs) Where's Lilith? Snakes in the other room. (laughs) Continuing. Predestination, episode 23. I almost don't want to give you any feedback unless you're done with it, but... What the hell? Shelly has a secret religion he's hiding from everyone, and he's passing information to the Persians? Well, that's probably what Joss found out about Shelly, which would explain (laughs) Shelly's motivation, not just to discredit the man that was Joss, but to see him dead. Yep. Can Doug find this all out, please? Hell hath no fury when one betrays the virtuous. Yeah, I called him virtuous, for while he seems to be one of the most politically and situationally aware characters in the cast, he seems to also be the most morally consistent person in the group, if you're only looking at morality in a broader and conventional sense. Remember, the group at that table has a funny (laughs) sense of morality. Now, is she talking about Doug or Joss being the most virtuous there? Doug, I believe. Yeah, okay. Because she wants Doug to find out about it. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Doug is probably the only virtuous character in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, hmm, Pennsylvania Avenue? That would entail being president, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. Or at least vice president and in line for the presidency. Is that part of what our favorite dear sociopathic bastard is up to? <laughs> Wink. Yes, it is. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, I tried to make that as obvious as possible without putting it in neon letters because, uh, you know, what, what, what good is a politician who, who can't figure out how to extricate himself from a situation like that without also getting a leg up in the process? And actually, to be perfectly fair and honest, I don't think you could extricate yourself from that situation without getting up to the level of the president. Right. Because then before that, you don't have the authority to, like, shred documents. Yeah, he's got only two ways out at this point. Feet first or ascending. (laughs) Exactly. Episode 24. You handled the interactions between Joss, Doug, and the Hartmans, and Cassie in the bar with style, grace, and that level of edge that we've come to know and love. So... What's going to be Cassie's response when she finds out that Joss knows that she's the green lady? Joss Uh, doesn't know she's the green lady. Really? Really. Check. And and by the way, if any of you find a place where Joss does know she's the green lady, let me know because that's a mistake. Okay. Um, Joss doesn't know she's the green lady. He's had... um, She's been very careful with her cover, and he's had no reason to suspect it. He thinks she works for the green lady. Hmm. And Doug also doesn't know about. Oh, Doug green. knows. Doug knows. Doug knows she's the green lady. Okay. She doesn't know that he knows. No, she knows that Doug knows because Doug's been. Doug rubbed it in her face when he was high on her ship. Okay. But, but Joss, that was when she found out. That right? was when she found out that he knew. But Joss doesn't know that he knows, or doesn't know who she is, and doesn't know that Doug knows who she is. Um, and Jim and Allie still think she's just the one who stole Joss from them. But uh, yeah, so no, Joss doesn't know that. But um, yeah, Cassie's got uh, got a few tricks left up her sleeve. Yes, Chris. <laughs> On TVTropes.org, look up thirty Xanatos pile up because that is what we've got going with this group. <laughs> I know that you knew that I knew that you know, and, but I did not know that you didn't. That you knew that I know that you knew that you know. Did you know that? <laughs> It's all about the bounded perspective. Now, based on what Joss was telling Doug about, if I wanted to take over everything and do it right, this is what I'd do. Did he write a paper on it or something back in the day? Because it seems like someone's following the lesson plan. (laughs) No, I don't think he did. Or if he did, I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it. But um, it actually... 
is something that that would be pretty obvious to anyone with uh, with a good strategic map of the situation. Mm. So, which um, of course <laughs> requires access to high level sensitive information which that course, only very few people mm-hmm. have. <laughs> yeah, or well, no, no, it, it because there's a there's two ways of waging war, right? There's mm-hmm. waging there's waging a war to make a point. Like Rome did with Carthage, you know, they burned it to the ground, they salted the earth, and then there's waging war because you want to control something. Right. In which case, you don't do Sherman's March. You keep everything intact because you want to use it after you're done, right. and you just find ways to force the enemy to surrender, mm-hmm. rather than bombing them back to the Stone Age. Yeah. Why would I want to destroy the world? All my stuff is there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Persians have built their empire by territory creep and wars of attrition. They're interested in controlling things so that they can survive politically and militarily. They're not out to take over the world because God told them to. Right. Um, they're not out to punish the infidels. They're out to basically uh, they're, they're out to be able to tax everything. <laughs> they want to be able to get a cut of whatever goes on there like the mafia. The mafia wants things to run smoothly because that's when they make money. They don't like killing people as a matter of policy. I mean, they obviously have to employ people who do. Right. But um it's just business. It's business. <laughs> and politics is business. Mm-hmm. Um the only difference between an organized crime and a government is well, the theoretic- consent of the governed. <laughs> yeah, the consent of the government. Well, even that's not always a difference. Well, <laughs> but uh, in any case, that's a long diversion or discursion. Yes. But uh, <laughs> no, so they're um, in. So because that's what they want to do, how do you um, create the most effective campaign of uh, in order to force a surrender with the least possible outlay of resources and the least possible damage done to the thing you're trying to conquer? You choke off. It's food supply. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the off-world colonies, uh, it's actually you want to choke off food, fuel, medicine, and trade. And oxygen. And oxygen. Yeah, that, that was a qu- that's a quick way to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, you, choke, you choke the trade points, and you don't eliminate – you choke the uh, rendezvous points. You don't eliminate trade, but because of where those points are, they're there in space for a reason. It, they're – they're at the L points that are gravimetrically balanced. They're at, um, and which are and they're points in space where there's no body, but you can locate them with a good map. Um, you they there. It's at the moon. It's at Phobos. You want to just blockade these ports. You blockade the ports. It's like um the way the British blockaded the southern states in the Revolutionary War. It the only way the southern states survived and managed to keep fighting or the southern colonies at that point mm-hmm. was because they would go out and meet the french on the seas and then go around mm-hmm. and that's what you have to do and that's very expensive takes a long time and gives you if you're the aggressor a big leg up in any military action you then have to take mm-hmm. and also in space a lot harder to hide blockade runners yes your only real advantage in space is the fact that space is huge, and someone really would have to know where to look for you to find you. And you'd have to have the computers capable of tracking every object in the right. sky simultaneously, which yeah. we can't do. Right, and with space junk, which is the natural outcome of space travel, there will be a lot more uh, noise in the signal. Yeah. Uh, she continues, And God and Goddess, that last scene... Fan self. <laughs> it's the closest to love and trust that Joss and Cassie will ever allow themselves to admit to themselves, at least at this point. I eagerly await seeing how their relationship develops. Still, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Lastly, I have to remember to not listen to your podcasts at work. <laughs> and garlic, butter, and feta. Mmm, sounds incredible. I have to try that. Mm, yeah, we actually had some of that today. Mm. My favorite. You've had some of that. It's my favorite garlic bread recipe. Good stuff. To close, I love your work, Dan. Your style is concise and enjoyable, and you have me on the edge of my seat to find out what happens next. You wonderful, realistic, messed up, and sarcastic god to your world and characters. <laughs> and I can't even say that I'm sorry to know that it's over, for while we're at the end of predestination, in a few months, we'll move on to free will. And then three more books. 
<laughs> I'm also looking forward to Down from 10 and your story for EALC. That last one, I can't listen to at work. You've all heard me say that, right? <laughs> and if at some point you and Kitty find out that Chris has learned the desire to use his powers for evil, please let me know so I can then develop the necessary protections. <laughs> Dan, you already know how to use your powers for evil, so it's useless to tell you not to use them that way. Otherwise, you wouldn't have written in podcast predestination in the first place. <laughs> Funny, I don't want to resist your dastardly plans. Giggle. <laughs> Thank you, Mildred. Actually, Kitty has a couple more comments from her. Okay, more comments from Mildred, who says, uh, who tweets, listening to D. Sawyer's latest, what the hell? That was beyond left field. And I think that was in reference to episode 23. And uh, later she tweets, just finished the episode. Oh, gods and goddesses, you just became more difficult to meet in person than Aetherius. (laughs) Infinitely more difficult. Just to state the obvious, D. Sawyer is evil. Evil, I say. (laughs) Ah, it feels so good to hear that. Uh, Thank you so much for the feedback, Mildred. I'm really glad you're liking it. I hope you like uh, Buried Alive in the Blues, my story on Erotica a la carte at www.eroticaalacarte.com. Bing! Just just dropped today or when you're listening to this last weekend. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. I have to say that um, you being evil seems to be a theme of these tweets. Uh, <laughs> Lunar, Lunar Shadow uh, also tweets, you are a fucking asshole. While uh, Chris Lester here <laughs> tweets, you magnificent bastard. Just listen to, epi- to chapter 24. That was kick-ass. Way to end an episode. Thanks. By the way, I meant to mention to Mildred... It- uh, thank you for for writing in about the um, and to Lunar Shadow too for writing in about the uh, the parlay scene in the bar. I was really really worried that that would be too info dumpy because of the the emotions felt genuine in it, mm. and because of that palpable sense of oh crap, at some point here somebody is going to screw up and say something that's going to get the bullets flying, and <laughs> so it's just like. Okay, they're being civil for now. <laughs> Don't anybody set off Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those things I've got. I've. I mean, I. I really love things like you know Tarantino films and you know where you've got those Mexican standoffs that someone eventually <laughs> snaps and pulls the trigger. But one of the things about the movies that we all grew up on and that we all still watch is. You you can steal and and con your way across the country, and you know if you manage to escape the jurisdiction, it'll remain an unsolved case, right? Unless you do something extremely stupid, like use the same fake ID all the time. <laughs> but you kill somebody, <laughs> and that will mobilize a manhunt. Yep. Um, Thelma and Louise actually played that really well. Someone mm. was killed in self defense, and that's the only reason they got chased. Um, because they, you know, you couldn't tell by the scene of the crime whether it was self-defense or not. Right. And remember, projecting forward, notice how few bodies have hit the deck in this book. Despite the fact that we're dealing with the master criminals, the psychopaths, and the chess masters. Not to mention politicians. Not to mention politicians. So few bodies have hit the deck because in an era where lifespan can stretch way past 100... Life becomes more and more valuable. Just like murder is a much bigger deal now than it was even 60 years ago, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bigger deal then. And you don't actually want to kill somebody unless you're absolutely sure you can get away with it. These people are in a business where they, they're more likely than most to get shot. So they're alert for that. And Joss has a price on his head. So anyone shooting him isn't really going to get in trouble. Right. right. <laughs> but... He doesn't want to kill anyone else because he doesn't want any more trouble than he's already got. Cassie doesn't want to kill anybody else because she doesn't want any more trouble than she's already got. Everyone at that table has a very good reason not to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. But none of the other ones know that they've got those good reasons. Remind me, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly, Doug is the only one at that table not pointing a gun at somebody. Doug is the only one at that table who is not armed at all. Right. And he's also the only one that is calm. Right. Because he's the only... He 
but he knows nobody is going to touch him. That's right. And he's the, he knows no one's going to dare touch him, and he's the one holding all the cards. Mm-hmm. Joss is holding maybe a couple of cards Doug isn't holding, but as far as Doug knows, he's got the whole puzzle. He's just checking to make sure he's got the whole puzzle before he plays his endgame. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole thing is about Joss trying to introduce reasonable doubt into the mind of the guy who thinks like a judge. <laughs> um, and uh, fortunately, Joss is good and fast on his feet, so it makes the exchange interesting. Indeed. But you're seeing a poker player go up against a chess player, and their negotiating styles reflect that. Mm. <laughs> nice. Yeah, because a chess player, you can see all the pieces on the board. Mm-hmm. Everybody's there. Everything's out in the open. And yep. everybody knows that there's one way to play the game. Yep. The poker player <laughs> is allowed to lie. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you can't be good at po- poker unless you can lie persuasively. That's right. So that's what I put into that scene to hope to keep it from being all info dumpy. And I'm really pleased that it worked. Here we have, um, continuing on the Twitter feed, Nobilis writes, J. Daniel Sawyer, magnificent bastard. Definitely need to get t-shirts made up. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) Uh, Tristan writes, I would pay for the Antithesis Overture or soundtrack if it were on iTunes. Excellent. I passed that on to Danny Shade, and he is now very interested in releasing a soundtrack. So uh, keep keep mail like that coming, guys, if you actually would buy it, because we could maybe induce him to release it. He owns all of it. I don't. He's just licensed it to me very kindly. Smitty Halibut, a.k.a. Mark Smith. That was a little surreal. Just finished most recent episode of Antithesis at a pizza joint watching kids run around. That was episode 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like watching or, or listening to Erotica a la carte when you're trying to work (laughs) stingray writes i just listened to lilith last night enjoyed Mm. that story quite a bit and found some really interesting ideas in it as well thank you i'm glad people are still listening to those old stories that's great and tristan apparently was commenting about looking forward to um the to 9909 the podcaster triple threat and then he said should say that I'm looking forward to 9909 when Metamore City and Digital Magic come out, then Antithesis two <laughs> days later after he promises. <laughs> well, Tristan, that's a good thing because Antithesis will be dropping on 9709. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I learned my lesson about recording as I go. <laughs> and I think that is it. All right, so uh, let's break and then do the voicemail. All right, we will be back after this with the voicemail. The voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> 